0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Sunny in 65 podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Schultz, and I am so deeply excited about what I get to share with you guys today. I had the absolute honor of getting the opportunity to speak at a church's women's retreat this last fall. And I can't even begin to express how humbled I was to do this and how sweet it was to partner with the Lord on this. But this episode and the next after this are the two sessions that I taught on Christian friendship. So this is not a live recording. This is me re-recording or recording for the first time my manuscript to share on this podcast. So I'm praying that these two talks are helpful, encouraging, and edifying as you navigate the call of a Christian, specifically in friendship. So I'm just going to jump right into the beginning of my manuscript. Hi, friends. My name is Maddie Schultz, and it is truly such an honor to get to be with you gals this weekend. A little bit about myself. I'm married to my dearest, Alex, who is my sweetest gift from the Lord. I am a stay-at-home mama to a four-and-a-half-year-old zealous boy, Xanderbo, and a one-and-a-half-year-old little sassy girl, Shay Jacqueline. We live in Omaha, Nebraska, a town the Lord has made us fiercely passionate about. I've been told by multiple people that they have not met anyone that loves their town as much as me, and I wear that as a badge of honor because the Lord did that. He changed the heart of a young gal who said, and I quote, that I would never live in Omaha or raise a family in Omaha. You guys know how that goes. Never say never. We have been at Providence Church for Over four and a half years now where the Lord was so kind to specifically lead us to, to draw us closer to himself, to bring us a deeper understanding of the gospel, and to have such a sweet, deep community. Please withhold your boos when I tell you that we are not Nebraska fans. We are kind of the opposite. We are everything Wisconsin. Packers, Brewers, Bucks, Badgers. We love sports. We love walks. We love music. We love deck hangs. I am a raging extrovert and I've classified myself as type Z, aka the furthest thing from type A. Bless my high-functioning OCD husband for marrying me and for doing our laundry. The current joke in our house is that I'm making a late push, my husband calls it, for housewife of the year, to which I joke back that I never wanna peak too soon in the year and that it's all about strategy. Most importantly, I am wildly passionate about Jesus and about the joy and freedom we get to live in because of what he did for us on the cross Freedom from being enslaved to sin, from guilt, freedom from shame, from striving, freedom from expectations, from being, in quotes, the perfect Christian. I am free. And the list of things we are free from because of what Jesus has done for us is truly endless. And I pray that I spend the rest of my life encouraging others and emphatically sharing about the freedom I now stand in, under Jesus because of his work on the cross and the joy that I have in knowing the living God. So that is a little bit about me. In full transparency, lest you think the Lord allowed me to speak to you all on this topic of friendship because I'm always killing it in this area, that is simply not true. When Pamela and Jenny initially reached out to me about this weekend and that the main topic of discussion would be sisterhood slash Christian friendship, I literally laughed out loud at the Lord's timing. Do not get me wrong. I am fiercely passionate about this topic. I love deep friendships. I have some of the sweetest friendships that the Lord has used to shape and form me. But you see, the first six months of this year were some of the most humbling months of my entire life up to this point. I walked through deep conflict with a close friend over those six months. What the Lord did through it all humbled me. Helped me see myself rightly, showing me that I thought higher of myself than I ought. Through his living and active word and wise counsel, he kept bringing me back to the scriptures, showing me what true Christian friendship looked like, what the call is, where I was falling short, and where my unbelief in the gospel was affecting everything. If there was ever a point that I truly felt like I had nothing to offer except Jesus and his word, it was the day I read Jenny and Pamela's initial email. I laughed because I thought, God, this is exactly where you always want me knowing that i on my own do not have much of anything to offer you all today but that jesus has everything to offer us so i'm praying that god's word and what he has shown me over this last year will fall fresh on you and encourage you in your gospel-centered friendships so this weekend we are talking all about sisterhood friendships in christ friendships that are built on the solid rock of jesus when i think back to some of my earliest childhood memories they are memories of wanting to belong Memories of longing to be truly known, some of them are actually painful memories of being rejected or excluded, and some of the best memories for me are ones where I was with a person or a group of people that I truly felt like knew me and loved me. That has been a deep, constant feeling throughout my whole life, a longing for community and friendship, a longing to feel deeply connected. Maybe you feel similarly. Maybe you've always felt this way too. Why is this? It's because we were literally made by the triune God to live in and be in community. We were made for friendships. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who is the perfect community, created us and saved us to then be in community. David Leprezzi, a former pastor, said, We were saved by community for community. We were saved by community, the triune God for community. We were made to do life with other people. Maybe you're here and you feel like you have this. You have sweet, deep friendships. Maybe you're here and you are deeply longing for it. And maybe you're here and you don't have it. And you're thinking, I'm good without it. Regardless where you are, I have two main goals over the course of these two talks today. The first is to convince you of the necessity, cost, and call of Christian friendship that's kind of a 3 in oneer And the second goal is to convince you of the only way possible to have these friendships and do them well, and that is by abiding in Jesus and believing the gospel. So here's the big idea. Because Jesus created us for friendships and modeled being the perfect friend, we must freely and humbly pursue deep, meaningful Christian friendship through looking to Jesus's life, abiding in God, and believing the gospel. Because Jesus created us for friendship, And model being the perfect friend, we must freely and humbly pursue deep, meaningful Christian friendship through looking to Jesus's life, abiding in God, and believing the gospel. I just want to preface this talk by encouraging everyone here or everyone listening to this podcast to fight the pull to be analyzing your friends or the people in your life as you listen to this, as we dive into this topic. Resist the pull to maybe think, well, gosh, they don't do this or she doesn't do that. But instead, I think God is inviting each of us into asking him what he wants to show you or transform in you for the good of your friendships and ultimately for his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for this podcast. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to share on this topic again and record this podcast today. Lord, I just pray Um, that I would make much of you and not much of myself. God, I pray that you would go before me, even in recording this, Lord. Uh, God, I pray for whoever is going to hear this message. Lord, would you reveal yourself to them in a new way, in a deeper way? God, would they leave hearing these messages just in a deeper love with you, just with a deeper affection for you and your word and for your people God, I pray for our friendships and for the friendships of the people listening to this. God, would would our friendships be marked by sacrifice and humility and laying our lives down for one another because that's what you did for us. So, Lord, we desperately need your help every single day. God, I desperately need your help now as I speak. Um, yeah, Lord, I'm just praying for whoever is listening to this. God. Would you save them if they have not surrendered their whole lives to you? God, would you soften their hearts to your truth and your word and, and the gospel and God, would they come to know and follow you, Lord? So thank you for saving us, God. We were undeserving. We are undeserving. And you brought us from death to life, Lord. So would you please convict, stir, exhort, encourage, refresh our hearts today, God, help us to fight the pull to be analyzing our friends, God. And Lord, yeah, show us where maybe we're not believing the gospel, where we're falling short in our friendships because of our lack of humility and love. And yeah, God, would we ultimately leave just so in love with you so that the overflow of that would fall into our friendships, God. So we love you so much in your precious name. Amen. What is true Christian friendship? Who do we look to? Why is it necessary? Those are the three questions we're going to seek to answer this first session. What is true Christian friendship? Who do we look to? Why is it necessary? So what is true Christian friendship? Per the all-knowing Google, friendship is a person whom one knows and with whom one has a bond of mutual affection. And friendship is a person who has a strong liking for and trust in another person. These sound great. So I guess if I like someone and they like me back, bam, friendship. Easy as that, right? But today, we're talking about Christian friendship. As Christians, we are called to be holy, which means set apart. So shouldn't our friendships look different and be set apart from the world as well? I believe the answer is an emphatic yes. But how are our Christian friendships supposed to look different? I felt like those definitions I just listed sounded pretty fine to me. Couldn't we just do that and slap on some encouraging verse texts once in a while and get lunch after church once a month? Couldn't that set us apart? I believe and I know that the Lord has way more for us in deep Christ-centered friendships, way more than just simply a mutual liking and a few encouraging texts. Today, we're going to define Christian friendship as two people whose main focuses are to help each other love, trust, and enjoy God in deeper ways, follow his commands, turn from sin, and further his kingdom. I love a good run-on sentence, don't you? (laughs) Christian friendship is two people whose main focuses are to help each other love, trust, and enjoy God in deeper ways, follow his commands, turn from sin, and further his kingdom. So how do we do that? What does that actually look like? Which brings us to our second question. Who do we look to? Who can we look to that can show us what God is calling us to in Christian friendship? Think for a second of someone who you consider to be a really good friend, a friend that maybe does a lot of the things I just listed in the definition. Do you have someone in mind? Now, the reality is, as good as that friend is or has been to you, did you know there is someone who isn't just good, but who is a perfect friend? The Bible says that Jesus has come and is a perfect friend to us. He is not a mere perfect example, though he is the perfect example. He is our perfect friend. Imagine what that is like to have a perfect friend. Let me show you what it looks like in John 15. If you have a Bible with you or you're near one at your house, wherever you're listening, let's turn to John 15, 12. The context of this passage is Jesus speaking to his disciples at the last supper the night before he would be crucified on the cross the next day. They're in the upper room all together. And starting at verse 12, he says, My command is this. and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Matthew Henry says in his commentary of John 15, The excellency of the love of Christ is beyond all other love. He is not only equaled, but exceeded the most illustrious, which means well-known or respected, the most illustrious lovers. Others have laid down their lives Content that they should be taken from them, but Christ gave up his. The life which others have laid down has been but of equal value with the life for which it was laid down. But Christ is infinitely worth more than 10,000 of us. Others have thus laid down their lives for their friends, but Christ laid down his for us when we were enemies. So, first and foremost, I just want to pause and I want you to ask yourself, do you honestly consider Jesus as your friend? Do you consider Jesus as your friend? Again, he's not just going to be the example we look to for guidance. All of this that we read about Jesus's friendship is true for you. He is your friend, your companion. He is the perfect friend to you. The perfect friend that will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter how messy or ugly it gets, he is the perfect friend that quite literally knows everything there's to know about you and not only promises to stay and never leave, but loves you unconditionally forever. If your faith has been placed in Jesus's atoning work on the cross for your sins, you are no longer an enemy, but a friend. I think sometimes that's easy for me to forget. I see him as King and Lord and Savior, but personally, I think friend is one that I fail to remember at times. Not only were we reconciled back to God for community with the body of Christ, the church, we were reconciled into community and right standing with the triune God. Jesus now calls us friends. Praise God. How comforting and sweet to think about. Before we can move forward to talking about friendship with others, we must first know and understand the sweet friendship we have with God because of the cross. As one writer said, Every other friendship a Christian makes or maintains stems from this friendship. So guys, know that you have the perfect friend in Jesus today, right now, unless we're living out of a deep belief that one, Jesus is our friend, and two, that we are fully satisfied on every side in him alone, unless we deeply believe those things We won't have healthy friendships because we will be wanting and expecting something from our friends that, quite frankly, they can't give us. Friendships are a gracious gift from the Lord that he uses to form us, refine us, encourage us, and refresh us, not to fill us. Friends are a gracious gift from the Lord that he uses to form us, refine us, encourage us, and refresh us, not to fill us. By God's grace, we get to step into these friendships already filled and fully satisfied by Jesus alone. So back to verse 12. My command is this, Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. How has he loved us? In verse 13, Jesus then gives the disciples a foreshadowing into what will occur the next day. And he says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And this is exactly what Jesus did for us. In Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So again, verse 12, Love each other as I have loved you. The Son of God humbly came down from heaven to breathe our air and die the most horrific death on a cross for his enemies. That is the kind of love and friendship he is calling us to. Philippians 2, 5-8 reads, lowly, others-centered. This is what Jesus is exemplifying for us. This is what he is calling us to in our friendships. Lest this all sounds possibly very overwhelming right now, you're like, um, I came here to be encouraged about friends and excited to hopefully leave with a few more of them. I think it's okay to sit in the tension right now of the fact that this is a hard call. This isn't a butterflies and roses call into Margarita Mondays and shopping trips, both of which I love, but let's not be mistaken. This is, in fact, the call in Christian friendship, humbly laying down your life for your sisters and brothers in Christ. All of that to say, I promise you, God has way more for us in these sorts of friendships because he ultimately has more of himself for us in these sorts of friendships. In a sisterhood marked by the gospel, marked by sacrifice, joy, humility, and dying to yourself. Here's the good freeing news to break us out of the tension right now. We won't be doing any of this in our own strength. We simply can't. But we'll get to that later. So, lastly. Why do we need friendships? Why is friendship necessary? This is not an exhaustive list, but we're going to cover just three of them today. One, friendship is necessary for our sanctification/slash transformation. Two, friendship is necessary for the good of the church. And three, friendship is necessary to show the world Jesus. So, one, friendship is necessary for our sanctification and transformation. Two, friendship is necessary for the good of the church. And three, friendship is necessary to show the world Jesus. So one, friendship is necessary for our sanctification and transformation. I can vividly remember at the beginning of this year, and this is absolutely embarrassing to admit, but I can vividly remember I was sitting by myself during my kids' nap time. They both were having champion status naps at the time, a gift straight from the living God himself. I'm on my spot on the couch that you can find me each day, and here's what passed through my mind. Wow, I'm like doing pretty good. I feel like I've been pretty patient lately with my kids and pretty loving to people I'm like killing it. And it's as if the very next second, my toddler woke up early from her nap and a slight rage, red sin, rose up in me. Fast forward a few days later, and I enter into a surprising conflict with a friend where I had hurt her. And the Lord brought my thought from earlier that week back to my mind. And I don't think this is actually true, but God is a little sarcastic with me personally. And I pictured him doing like this slight laugh with like a point and a wink, something like, <laughs> "Psych, guys, I am so holy when I'm by myself. If I could actually just have multiple hour breaks from my toddlers, if they could not wake up early from nap time when I'm trying to get my to-do list done, and if I could just not do real life with anyone, you know, just let people in a little, but not spend too much time with anyone outside of my husband and keep all people at arm's length, I am great. Listen to this quote that hits straight to the jugular from the amazing community study by Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Will Walker. It says, did you ever notice how patient you are as long as no one is getting on your nerves? Or how loving you are, as long as you're surrounded by people who are easy to love. Or how humble you are, as long as you're respected and admired by others. Every one of us is a saint in isolation. It's in community that our real weaknesses, flaws, and sins are exposed. That's why community is essential, not optional, for transformation. We can't become the people God wants us to become outside of community. The tool of sanctification, which is God making us more like himself, is the truth of the gospel. And the context of sanctification is community. End quote. Every one of us is a saint in isolation. We cannot become the people God wants us to become outside of community, outside of friendship. Ufta. Friendship is necessary for our sanctification and transformation. So my four and a half year old son, is a huge quality time guy. He truly just wants someone sitting next to him at all times, I swear. Whether he's eating, playing cars, or swinging, we are always hearing, mom, come sit right here. Dad, come sit with me. Can someone come sit with me? So he loves his cars. You can typically find him lining them all up and making hysterical car noises. And he calls out once again from his bedroom, mom, can you come play cars with me? And way less times than I should, I oblige. So I get into his room and he says, sit right here. He motions to have me sit as close as possible to him. I am all in. I'm ready to play. Here's the kicker. Most of the time, I'm not allowed to touch the cars. I'm actually not allowed to do anything. I just sit there. I kind of think to myself, dang, I really feel like I could add something to this playtime, you know? I make a mean car sound. I have a wild imagination. I have plenty of words. And I feel like from the outside looking in, I'm able to see where maybe the road pieces could curve around and connect than helping your said playtime. Dang, Zan, missed opportunity. I think in the same way, this is what we do a lot of times in our friendships. We say, come sit right by me, get really, really close I long for you to be here and I long for you to be here often. I long for you to see into my life, sort of like a spectator, someone to just cheer me on and know externally what's going on in my life and maybe some of the internal, but I'm not going to actually allow you to play with the cars. I'm not going to actually allow you to get in to my life. I'm not going to allow you to speak into my life or have an impact or make a correction you might see. Let's just enjoy each other's company, but you stay in your lane and me in mine. An article by author and minister Derek Rishmawi says, We're community phobic because we're accountability phobic. We're anti authoritarian to a degree that inhibits us from seeing the value and necessity of loving correction and accountability for how we use our freedom. We avoid community because we're scared for anyone to know us well enough to call us out on anything. So we simply don't commit. We date casually, switch jobs constantly, and find the idea of actual membership in a church overwhelming. And this is in quotes freedom and in quotes happiness, end quote. We avoid community and deep friendships because we're scared for anyone to know us well, to call us out on anything. So we simply don't commit, he said. Does that strike a nerve with anyone here today? Just me? We hate accountability. With every fiber of our being, we cringe at the thought of anyone keeping us accountable, rebuking, or correcting us. Our pride, hates accountability. But shouldn't we want this? For God's glory and our sanctification, we need friendships because, Pastor Bob Thune puts it this way, you can't see your face. We need deep friendships for our transformation into Jesus's likeness because we are blind to our own sin. We can't see our face. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need friends that will be bold enough to graciously call us up out of sin, out of our idols, and to remind us of the gospel. And we also need to be those friends. Faithful friends faithfully wound, my friend Taylor always says from Proverbs 27.6. The Amplified version of Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. Faithful friends, faithfully wound. I'm not saying we should just be focusing on and pointing out our friends' every flaw by no means, but as you abide in the Lord, seeking wisdom from him, he will guide you in this with truth and grace in your friendships, not critically or with condemnation for Romans 8, 1 reminds us there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If we truly love our friends and we truly believe that sin leads to destruction, we will want friends and be friends who lovingly, in truth and grace, say the hard thing, faithfully wound, and call each other up out of sin. Again, we can't see our face. We need these friendships for our transformation. Author Jerry Bridges said, only the truly faithful friend cares enough about you or me to undertake the often thankless task of pointing out where we are wrong. None of us enjoys being confronted with our faults or sins or mistakes, so we often make it difficult for our friends to do so. As a result, most of us are more concerned about speaking agreeableness to each other than about speaking the truth. This is not loyalty. Loyalty speaks the truth in faithfulness, but it also speaks it in love. Loyalty says, I care enough about you that I will not allow you to continue unchecked in your wrong action or sinful attitude that will ultimately be harmful to you, end quote. Here's the thing though, we need to humbly invite our friends into doing this. I say humbly invite because this is and will be an act of humility. This will be a moment to choose humility over our pride. Our pride wants nothing to do with this. Our pride wants nothing to do with friends that will keep us accountable Our pride is screaming at us, I'm good on my own. I am so self-aware. I pray every single day, Lord, show me any offensive way in me. I don't need anyone to help me fight against sin. It's just me and God, I'm good. I'm not saying God won't show you any offensive way in you between just you and him ever. I am saying he sometimes and oftentimes will use friends to show us the offensive way in us because again, we can't see our face. So humbly invite someone into this. I'm not saying you need to invite 25 people into doing this for you. No, no, no. But you are the one who needs to make the invitation to your friend or a few friends, if you haven't already, saying, hey, I just want you to know you have full permission and freedom to speak into my life when you see something. You have full permission to call me up out of sin or an idol that I'm not seeing. You have full permission to ask me the hard questions. Not only do you have permission, but please do this. If we don't humbly invite people into our life to do that, they most likely are not going to do that because they are keenly aware that they don't have this invitation. If there's no one in your life that has this invitation, and I'm talking someone that you see on a weekly biweekly basis that is actually doing life with you in proximity. Not your long distance friend who you see twice a year, but someone who is seeing your life lived out in the flesh. Someone that gets to see you out in the wild of your everyday living. That sees how you respond to your child or your husband. That sees where you spend your time and money and energy. That sees how you talk about others when they aren't around. That sees what your mannerisms, habits, and rhythms are. I want to strongly encourage you to do this. Give them an invitation in. And then- Here comes the real challenge. Are you ready? After you invite someone in, then comes the actual hard part. When next week they actually do this and they speak into your life in some way, humbly listen and respond well. Humbly listen and respond well. Ask the Lord today, have I actually given anyone permission to do this in my life? If I haven't, Lord, would you lead me to invite someone into this? Or maybe you feel like you have this person, but maybe you've never explicitly told them that they have the freedom to do this in your life. Give them a call today and let them know. I truly believe these invitations will be a tangible and ongoing way that we push back the darkness. My friendships where we explicitly have voiced that freedom and permission to do that for each other are so impactful and they bring me so much joy. By God's grace, he has used those friendships to change and transform me in massive ways. It's not playing cars while one of us just spectates from the sideline. Hand your friend the car, invite them in to play for God's glory and our good and sanctification. Friendship is necessary for our sanctification and transformation. Number two, friendship is necessary for the good of the church. So what is at stake if there aren't friendships in the church? How would the church, the people of God, suffer? Picture walking into your church right now on a Sunday morning. There's a lobby full of free coffee and donuts. It's bright, it's beautiful, but there's no friendship. What would that look like? What would that feel like? No one is hugging and asking about birthday parties or weekend plans, and no one is asking about illnesses, conflict, suffering, or pain. No one's sitting on those couches out in the foyer area. You know what I'm talking about? Where people duck and cover when God is stirring their heart for him and they need a moment to let out some tears or confide in a friend. You're surrounded by so many people seemingly sharing the most important thing in common, but you feel alone. I asked my husband what he thought the church would be like without friendships and without hesitation, he just says, sad and lonely. Picturing the church without picturing friendship feels like picturing no church at all. The church is a people. Picturing the church without friendships feels more like people coming to spectate a sports game on a Sunday. There's a shared enemy and a shared hero. There's competition, excitement, and snacks. We're all seemingly so connected to other diehard fans because we all have this commonality in being all in for this one team and all against the other team. But really, the connection stops there. We leave going about our separate ways into busy lives. We may have shared a common team and a common enemy, but that's all we shared. Church can't be like a Sunday sporting event because real, genuine friendships are vital to the church. Community is built on those friendships, and community is vital to the church. Without friendship, I think what's at stake is the church. Now let's picture the church with deep, lively friendship. By God's grace, you've lived in this and you've felt this, and by God's grace, you'll get to experience this if you haven't. It's Sunday morning. You say hi to Bill as he greets you out the front door. Him and his wife, Kim, have been in your city group for years. They've seen you at your best and your absolute worst. You ask them how visiting their daughter last weekend was. You feel seen and known by them in the most unassuming way. You walk through the doors and your kids run up to the gal who babysits them every week that has now become a dear friend and a part of your family. You head towards the service space and you run into your friend who got really hard news this week. You walk up and hug her. You hold her a little longer than usual because you know she's hurting deeply. You stop there in the hallway and together you pray and plead for God to intervene like only he can. You head into the service, you see some of your friends, and you side hug them as you slide into the row. You've invited someone new that's at church for the first time because you long for them to experience Jesus and this gospel-centered community that you get to live in because of him. Your friends are sweetly asking them questions, inviting them into the fold as if they've always been there. As you're singing musical worship, you look around and are reminded of the community the Lord has saved you into, this community you get to follow him with. You're not in this alone, you're reminded, and you're spurred into gratitude. You hear the word preached. Your heart is stirred and convicted by the message your pastor and friend labored over the weeks beforehand. You are the last ones to leave the building because you love being there. Your husband finally just leaves and pulls up the van to the front waiting for you. Just me. You leave refreshed by God's word being preached and by your community. You leave feeling seen and known, spurred on and excited to pursue Jesus and holiness. You're excited to go out into the wild, making God's name known. Friendships are vital to the health of, growth and good of the church turn your bibles to first corinthians 12 and starting at verse 12 for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body though many are one body so it is with christ for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body jews are greeks slaves are free and all were made to drink of one spirit for the body does not consist of one member but of many giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body and that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God has given each gal in here specific and unique gifts to serve his church with, specific and unique gifts to serve our friends with. We desperately need each other. God's plan for the body of Christ isn't to conform everyone to act and be the exact same, to have the same gifts and personalities. The bride is diverse in so many ways, and that includes in the ways he has wired and gifted us. I think of my friends who are gifted in areas of empathy and compassion. When I'm with them, I'm reminded of the Father's compassion and heart for others, spurring me on to grow in this area. I see the Lord through them in our friendship and in the way they serve the church. I think of my friend Jordan, who is wildly gifted at preparing homemade from scratch meals. She blesses our city group more Wednesdays than not. We feel so cared for by her through her labor to feed us. She is so gifted in hospitality. I think of my friends who are gifted listeners and seers. You just feel heard and seen when you're with them. They aren't jumping at the bit to speak or be heard themselves. I can feel the presence and the humility of Jesus through them, and I feel cared for by Jesus when I get to be with them. Your gifts from the Lord are needed in the church. Your gifts from the Lord are needed in friendships. You think your gifts are in quotes, small or in quotes, unnecessary? That is false. Verse 22, back to the passage we just read, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, indispensable, absolutely necessary. Without each member of the body choosing to pursue friendship and community and choosing to serve one another with our specific gifts he has given us, the church cannot function properly. Dennis Newkirk said, These gifts are special God given abilities to serve him with effectiveness. When combined in a church, these gifted people express the life of Christ to one another and the world. We need each other. I need those with the gifts of administration, mercy, and giving to complete my life. We are all needy and God meets those needs through the community of believers. Have you ever considered that your church may actually need your gifts? End quote. Friendship is necessary for the good of the church. And lastly, friendship is necessary to show the world Jesus. I didn't know if I would share this example But I literally could not think of a better one because it's truly the example of friendship we see in the Bible and what we're getting at today. So a very long story of the Lord's beautiful providence in our lives. Short, long story short, one of my husband, Alex, and I's best friend was dying of kidney failure last year. And as the Lord would have it, my husband was the perfect match to him for a transplant. No, literally, the doctors were shocked at how many antibodies aligned between Alex and our friend, especially coming from a non-family member. They, they called it a miracle. To which we knew was the Lord's miraculous attention to detail when forming Alex's body together in his mother's womb. It was a no-brainer, we kept saying. We knew and were confident that the Lord was calling us into this, and he had given us such deep peace about it. All of this to say, I will never forget The day we told a very close, non-believing family member that Alex was a match to our friend and that he would be donating his kidney to his friend in a few short months. This person was simply so confused why we would ever do that. We had a, in quotes, young family, they said. In quotes, think of the risks, and they named them for me. I would never do that if I were you guys, they said. And I know this person had zero ill intentions in this. They truly just care about us but we looked crazy to them for doing this. That didn't even cross my mind before this conversation with them, that this would look absolutely crazy to the outside world looking in. We just simply got to tell them that our friend would die without a kidney, his life was worth the risk, and that most importantly, God had called us into this and that we trust him, not just with this, but with our entire lives. And we got to remember and tell everyone that this sacrifice is a tiny minuscule sliver of the sacrifice Jesus had made for us on the cross. Friendship is necessary to show the world Jesus. By God's grace alone, one year ago last week, the surgery happened, the kidney took perfectly and everyone is doing great, praise God. That is of course the extreme for laying down your life for someone else in our context today. And we most likely aren't all going to go under the knife for someone. But in the tangible, seemingly, in quotes, ordinary day-to-day ways that we lay down our lives for our friends, they are just as countercultural and shocking to the outside world looking in. Meal trains, offering to watch each other's kids in times of need, forgiving someone who has wronged us, giving away our money and time freely to people in our community, and the list goes on. John 13, 34, a few chapters prior to what we read earlier, in the upper room with his disciples, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all will know. By what? By the way you love one another. By your friendships. By the way you lay your lives down for one another and love each other as yourselves. By this, Jesus says, all will know that you are my disciples. Love for one another is what sets us apart. Deep love, deep friendships with one another will will mark us as Christians. By this, all will know. That is equally convicting and freeing for me. It's like God knows what he's doing. There's so much freedom in that. He is always just peeling back layers to reveal a deeper freedom that we have in him. Just go love people, he says. Go pursue deep friendships with people. It doesn't say that they'll know we're Christians by our political stance, or by how well we explicitly share the gospel, or by your city group and church attendance, or by how often we talk about Jesus or post about our faith, or by our theological knowledge. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. But for some reason, this is so hard for us to do. Not for some reason, it's because of our sin. Because of our sin, this is so hard for us to do. Because of our sin and self-centered nature, It is so hard to love people and lay down our lives, lay down our time, lay down our energy, lay down our creativity, lay down our schedules, and lay down our comfort for others. It would quite honestly seem more doable for me if God flipped the script and said, they'll know you're Christians by your political stance. They'll know your Christians by how well you explicitly share the gospel, by your city group and church attendance, by how often you talk about Jesus. That personally sounds a lot more doable to me. Yes, Lord, now that I can maybe do or at least partially do, in quotes, well on my own. Want to know why those are easier for me to do? They don't really cost me anything. I might even possibly be able to do some of them in my, in quotes, own strength. I can possibly check off those boxes and feel a little good about myself. But we don't have a God interested in checking off boxes. We have a God interested in deepening our dependence on himself. We have a God interested in our transformation at a heart level for his glory and the good of others. Again, in Bob Thune and Will Walker's study on gospel centered community, they said this Consider some of the one another statements in the Bible love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Isn't it obvious that none of us can do these things perfectly? These commands aren't given just so that we'll know what we should do. They're also given so that we can try and fail and grow in our experience of God's grace. Trying to fulfill these one another commands helps to reveal our sin, drives us to Jesus in repentance and faith, and causes us to depend on the Holy Spirit for transformation. Community is the laboratory in which we learn to rely on God's grace and experience the gospel's transforming power. End quote. As we pursue Christian friendships, laying down our lives for our friends, loving our friends as ourselves and living counterculturally from the rest of the world, we get the opportunity to show the world the power of God at work in us through the Holy Spirit. So number one, friendship is necessary for our sanctification and transformation. Two, friendship is necessary for the good of the church, 3 friendship is necessary to show the world Jesus we'll close with this exhortation we'll close from we'll close with this exhortation from the writer of Hebrews he says let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching You guys, I hope this first session was encouraging and helpful. The next session is titled, We Can't Make Ourselves Be Good Friends slash Go Be a Good Friend. And it's more practical of how do we do this? How do we lay down our lives for others? What does it look like to live out the call In Christian friendships. So, I'm also putting in the show notes a list of discussion questions you could reflect on from this first session. If this episode encouraged you in any way, would you be willing to leave a review or rating wherever you listen to your podcasts? If it impacted you, would you be willing to take a moment right now and share it with your friends or family? I would greatly appreciate it. As always, I would love to connect. Feel free to reach out to me at Maddie at sunnyand65.com, M-A-D-I at sunnyand65.com. Friends, go be bold and love big, and we will see you next time.